It's the early morning gathering, and it's great. I hope you guys all were able to stay up till midnight last night. I stayed up to about 10.30, and I was done. I mean, I had a goal to stay up till midnight, but my whole body had another goal. So, And we got some kiddos in the gathering, which is a little bit different, uh, but we, we like having them with us. And so for them, I brought my old cape from Blitz. You guys remember Blitz is our camp in the summer. So this was my superhero cape because that year we had a superhero theme. And, uh, you know, uh, Super Sean had to make sure that everybody was okay, so Brad and I hung out at the door, and when Brad was high-fiving people, I think we might have a photo of that, Uh, Super Sean was lurking in the back, being a little bit creepy. Do we have a photo of that? We're going to get that up there? Maybe? Maybe? Wrong one? Thank you. It's, it's the new year. You know, we're, we stayed up late last night. So, so there's Sean looking in the background, making sure that Pastor Brad is okay. Have you ever wanted to have a superpower? Like when you were kids, did you, did you ever used to debate what the best superpower was? You know, like maybe flying or, or swimming or, or, or something. And there was always that kid that said they liked Batman the best. He didn't really have a superpower, which was his superpower because he was so smart and all the technology and everything like that. I wanted to be able to run really fast. I mean, I thought it would be great if I could have a superpower because I was into sports and I thought, that's going to help me. I was highly competitive. And I remember when I was 11 years old, I was in the mile run for our school. And it was fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade, the school that I went to. And so I would be running against kids that were older than me as well as younger than me. And they bust our whole student body over to the high school. Parents came. The faculty was there. And we were all lined up. It was the last event of the day, the mile run, four laps around the track. And the gun went off. And we, we just took off. And everybody was cheering and screaming. This one kid, Charlie... He, I think he thought it was a sprint because he just took off and the crowd was chanting his name, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. And I remember just watching him just go. I thought, man, Charlie's fast. But about the second lap, Charlie was laying on the ground. So I, I don't think he thought, knew it was a mile run. And so they stopped chanting his name. And about halfway through, there were two of us that were fighting it out for the lead. It was me and the fastest kid in the school named Eric, who was a sixth grader. And we exchanged the lead about five or six times, which is a terrible strategy for running the mile. It's exhausting to do it that way. And coming around the home, not the home stretch, but the back stretch on the final lap, I remember Eric passing me for the last time. And I was right on his shoulder, and I thought to myself, if I just stay here, I could probably take him in a sprint. I mean, last 50 yards, I, I think I can take him. And then I did something that I still don't really understand. I completely stopped running. I mean, I just stopped right in my tracks. I can still remember looking down at my soccer cleats, which are terrible shoes to run a mile in, by the way. I don't know why I did that. And I could hear the crunching. I started taking a few steps forward of the sand track that I was on. And I remember thinking to myself, you bonehead, what are you doing? Why, are, why did you stop? Get going. And so I got going. But now I was about 20 yards behind. And I thought, is there any way I can catch up to him? And by the finish line, I had made up about 10 yards. And as I was crossing the finish line, I had this thought that I will never forget. And that thought was, I cannot wait until the next race. Because <laughs> I was so mad at myself. I remember leaning over, uh, putting my hands on my knees, and everybody was patting me on the back. Good job, Sean. But I knew 
that I had given up. And all I could think about was starting the next race. When is it going to happen? And as I reflect back on that story, there's a, there's a life lesson in there for me. And it's something that I think makes life work. It's something that I think makes life beautiful. And that is, is that we have a God that gives us second chances. We have a God that is this God of beauty, this God of forgiveness, this God of healing, this God of provision, this God of love that says to each and every one of us that it's possible to begin again. And so as we stand on the edge of a brand new year, and we've all only lived just a little bit of it, we've just sort of ventured in to 2017, let me encourage you this morning, that you can begin again. And you know, I don't know your story. I don't know if your life needs a major overhaul this year. I don't know what 2016 was like for you. Maybe your life does need a major, a major restart. Or maybe you just need to begin again in an area of your life. Maybe you need to begin again financially. Maybe there's uh, a new beginning for you in your parenting or in your marriage or in your vocation. I love that over and over and over in the scriptures, there are stories about new beginnings. Because I don't know about you, but I, I often need to press that restart button and go, okay, let's, let's come back to the basics and let's start again. And one of my favorite stories in the scriptures about beginning again is in Luke chapter 19. And so if you brought your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 19. We also have it on the U version. And there's some Bibles on the seats right there. I think we have the page number up there for you. And I'm also going to put the words up on the screen if you just want to sit back and relax and uh, listen to the story of one of my favorite characters in the Bible. It's just a short story. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And when I was a kid, this was a cool story in this thing that I went to called Sunday School. And I always thought it was cool that this little guy ran and he climbed up in a tree to see Jesus. But as an adult, reflecting on some of the cultural context of this story and what was really happening in this man's life, this is a story about a major, major new beginning in somebody's life. It's about a guy that had fallen so far and hurt himself so bad and hurt others so bad that he needed to be transformed. And I love that about this story. Luke chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to him, today, salvation, or we might say, saving grace, or we might say, a brand new beginning has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. And then this last part right here, I think, is really the key to the whole gospel of Luke, and it's the... It's the main message that Luke is trying to get across. He says, For the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. I love this story. This story tells us a couple interesting things about Zacchaeus. One is that he was powerful, and the other one is that he was rich. And you put those two things together, and that meant that Zacchaeus was a person of high status. Now, we're in Luke 19, but if you were to read the first 18 chapters of Luke, one of the things that he does more than the other gospel writers is he has Jesus encountering people over and over and over again. I love the gospel of Luke. And he has them encountering a couple different types of people, generally speaking. And those two types of people are high-status people and low-status people. In fact, if you read just one chapter before chapter 18, there's six different characters in that chapter. There are three high-status people and three low-status people. There's a widow, and there's children, and there's a blind man. And one of the things that we see in the scriptures is that people of low status often were blessed by Jesus. I think that's interesting. There were also people of high status in chapter 18. There's a Pharisee who was a religious leader, and and he may have been rich, he may have not been rich, but Pharisees were powerful people. People in the ancient country of Israel were afraid of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were afraid of the Pharisees. I mean, they had a lot of power. They had a lot of status. And Jesus tells the story of a Pharisee that went up to the temple to pray. And this guy was like, man, I'm so glad I'm not like other people like this guy over here. And I give my money. And man, God, and it's just all this self-righteousness is coming out. And Jesus says that this man went away not justified. He uses the word justified. But basically what it means is this guy did not go away right with God. He didn't go away blessed this person of high status. There's also a rich ruler. This rich ruler goes away from Jesus. It says sad, but actually in the original language, it says that he went away encompassed or engulfed by grief. Can you imagine meeting Emmanuel, God with us? We just celebrated Christmas. But can you imagine going face-to-face with Jesus and walking away engulfed? In grief. What is it with these people of high status? What we often find in the scriptures is that the people with high status went away from Jesus unsatisfied, sometimes angry, sometimes frustrated, and sometimes encompassed by grief. Except for this other guy in chapter 18 who was a tax collector, just like Zacchaeus. And and this guy goes up to the temple to pray and and he's humble and he's contrite. And he cries out for mercy. And Jesus asks the question, who went away right with God? And then Jesus says, here's the key for why this man was blessed by God. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. If you want to know how to begin again this year, one of the subtle keys is this thing that we find in the scriptures called humility. It's the upside down way of Jesus that the way up is really the way down. And Zacchaeus had fallen way, way, way down. I mean, this guy was a not a good guy. He was a cheater. He was a chief tax collector. Tax collectors were hated at that time. They were despised. They worked for the enemy. You could say tax collector or you could say sinner. It just meant the same exact thing. He was a despicable guy. And his life was changed around. And so I thought I'd bring an, an example, you know, for the kids, a little movie clip about a guy's life that was changed around. Watch this. Okay, go, well, it's time for bed. Oh, come on, you want a story? Three sleepy kids! Oh, no, sorry, that, that book was accidentally destroyed maliciously. Tonight, we are going to read a new book. This one is called... One Big Unicorn by who wrote this? Oh, me! I wrote it. Oh, look, it's a puppet book. Here, watch this. That's the one. This is going to be the best book ever. Not to pat myself on the back, but yes, it probably will be. Here we go. One Big Unicorn, strong and free, Thought he was happy as he could be. Then three little kittens came around and turned his whole life upside down. Hey, that one looks like me. No, what are you talking about? These are kittens. Any relation to persons living or dead is completely coincidental. They made him laugh. Oh, they made him cry. He never should have said goodbye. And now he knows he could never part from those three little kittens that changed his heart. The end. Okay, all right, good night. I love that. That's the story of Zacchaeus. That's my story. God told Ezekiel that he will take the heart of stone out and he will replace it with a heart of flesh, a new beginning. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, you must be born again, a new beginning. And in the story of Zacchaeus, we see that beginning with just a small step of humility in his life. You know, for Zacchaeus to run and climb a tree, for us it means nothing. In fact, it's fun. I want to run and climb a tree. But in the ancient world, a person of high status would never, ever do that. 
It was humiliating to do that. The story of the prodigal son, also told by Luke, we see the father who represents God running to meet his boy that he loves and who has been lost and now has been found. Zacchaeus takes a step of humility in his life, and it changes everything. And so for you in 2017, what would that look like? What would a step of humility look like in your life in this next year? One of the things about humility is that it can grow and it produces something that I think is even far more powerful than just humility. It's actually something that we say we love here at Lakeside Church. We don't always live it out perfectly, but we say we love it. It's an aspirational value. And so we say we love meekness. Humility and meekness are different. In fact, meekness will lead us into humility. You see, Zacchaeus was a powerful guy. I mean, he could make a lot of decisions. He was very wealthy, and he could step on people. Meekness is taking that power, that status, whatever power we have, and it's submitting it to the lordship of Jesus. What, what would it look like for you in 2017 to practice humility? What would it look like for us as a community of faith, to love, to love um, meekness so much that it begins to change our behavior like it did for Zacchaeus. He stands up and he says, I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. And so right away, he begins to care for people that are needy. He begins to care for people that are caught in the margins in his own neighborhood, in his own culture. And then he says, I'm going to pay back four times the amount for everybody that I've cheated. And he had cheated people, no doubt about it. I'm going to pay back four times the amount, which was more than the ancient law said he had to do. Immediately, he begins to live out this thing called meekness. And Jesus notices and proclaims a heart change in Zacchaeus. And so those are, those are two simple steps, very complicated to work out in our lives over this year that we can practice for a new beginning. There's a couple other quick things in, the, in this passage that I think are beautiful. One of the things is that Jesus actually enters into this space with Zacchaeus that in the ancient world was a very personal space. In fact, 2,000 years later, it's still a very personal space for us. For example, did you have any relatives in town? over Christmas? Anybody have any relatives? Anybody have anybody over for dinner? Anybody go to a party? Maybe even last night you went to a party or you had people over. And when we have people over to our houses for dinner or for drinks or for hanging out, when we have people come and stay with us, who are those people usually? I mean, we might have people over sometimes that, that need a place and they're, and, and, and they're in a rough spot, but generally speaking, who do we have come stay with us? Family and friends, right? I mean, it's, it's personal. It's an intimate space, our homes. Jesus says, I've got to come and stay with you, Zacchaeus. And he enters into this close, personal space. And I think what we're seeing here is the heart of God. 
that God is willing, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you believe, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter what's gone on and mistakes that you've made over this last year or the year before or the year before or this morning in the new year already making mistakes, God doesn't care. He wants to come and be with you in that space, the space of your heart, the space of your life. Because sometimes we just need connection, right? I can't wait for this next series. It's starting next week. It's all about connection. It's, it's the craft that I'm going to be working on in my life, connecting with God and connecting with others. Sometimes we just need a bit of real connection in our lives. Finally, the last thing that we notice here in this story is that nothing great ever really happens without commitment. It means Zacchaeus had to make a move, right? At some point, he had to wake up and say, okay, I want a fresh start. I want to get off the starting line. I want to get off the couch. I want to make a move. And so he does. He stands up and he says, I'm going to change something in my life. Now, I know that these days, a lot of people don't like making New Year's resolutions. I read a study, in, uh, it was a 2000 study, came out of Bristol, Bristol, England, that said only 12% of people actually keep their New Year's resolutions. And so a lot of people are down on them, but I, I, I actually like setting goals. I like our staff here at church to set goals. I like sitting down in December and asking myself, okay, how am I going to do life differently this next year? And I, and, and I write things out, and I kinda, I'll try to go away to a coffee shop or somewhere, and I'll write some things out. How am I going to connect with God? How am I going to read the scriptures differently? How am I going to connect with my family and with my friends? And what's this next year going to be like for me? You see, nothing great happens in our lives without making a move of some sort of commitment. And that starts with a thought. It starts with a conversation with God and with, with someone else. And then you begin to take just step after step into this new year that most of us have only, well, all of us, most of us have only lived a little bit of this year. What would you commit to this year? What's God calling you to? I know one thing for sure. God is calling you. He's inviting you. He's beckoning you. And so as we start this new year, let me read for you one of my favorite passages in the Bible from Matthew 28. It says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Some of you need some rest in this new year. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This invitation is for all of us. It's an invitation into a new life, a new beginning, a life of transformation, a life that Jesus refers to as the abundant life. And he invites us in and he says, you can begin again. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thanks for the promise of new beginnings the outpouring of your grace on us, Lord, and we step into this new year with a God who heals, a God who provides, a God who is there for us every step of the way. 
saying you love us and you want to change our hearts. And so, God, we offer ourselves to you at the very beginning of this year, and we say, we are yours, Lord. God, we look to you and say thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.